welcome to An Amazingly Ordinary Life, the podcast that takes a behind-the-scenes look at the world of special needs. I'm Sherry Tharp, an autism mom and your host. Join me each week as we share our lives, build community, and redefine normal. This is An Amazingly Ordinary Life, episode 12. Today, I'll be talking with Jackie Ruck about her son who has autism and a sensory integration disorder, as well as being a cancer survivor. Good morning, Jackie. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you for joining me on my podcast. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So today we are talking about your son. Is that correct? Yes. So before we meet him, why don't you just take a moment and introduce yourself and your family and what you guys have got going on over there? Okay. Well, I'm Jackie Ruck. I am the mother of three children, two daughters and a son. And I'm also currently raising two great nephews and a great niece that all have a set of special needs of their own. I am a therapist by trade, which is a result of the experience that I went through trying to find appropriate treatments for my son. I am married. I'm going to hit 30 years this year being married. And that's about it for me. So let's start with your son. What's his name? Brennan. So what's his diagnosis? Brennan has autism, level one. Along with that, you know, sensory integration disorder is a big need. And most recently, he's a stage four cancer survivor. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot to have to deal with. It is. That is a lot. Tell me when you first started noticing that there was something going on with him. I really knew from a very young age, from infancy. So my children are very close in age. They're 15 months apart. So he has a sister 15 months older than he is and a sister 15 months younger than he is. And so when I was at our pediatrician, you know, I would frequently say, you know, something's not right. Something is different with him. And the pediatrician would always tell me, you know, he's a boy, he's slow, he'll catch up. And I would tell him he's not slow. He's very intelligent, very intelligent. But things like you know, finding a bottle that he could use. He was a nurse baby. And so using a bottle was a huge change. He had terrible GI issues and reflux. He couldn't lay down. He had to sit up when he slept. He was very sensitive to sensory issues, you know, loud noises. Even when he started to crawl, he cried when he touched the grass or different things. You know, and he was a happy baby. He was a wonderful, happy baby, but he was very sensitive very sensitive. And we noticed, you know, some gross motor delays and just some different things, especially language. Language was significantly delayed. You know, he had a sister at 15 months old that said, you know, the horsies at the mall are broken. And at almost two years old, he said two words, mommy and baby. Yeah, that would throw up some red flags right there. Mm -hmm. So how did you finally come to the diagnosis? The doctor did not, actually. We went through all of his preschool years I was an early childhood director, so I knew development very well. He attended private kindergarten and public kindergarten the same year. So he had kindergarten twice, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. He had a lot of struggles. He was kicked out of one preschool because he really wasn't able to sit. You know, while they were sitting learning, he was on the table dancing. Nice. (laughs) They didn't feel like that was appropriate. So we found him a more active, hands-on early childhood learning center that really met his needs very well. He did very well there. But then when he went to kindergarten and there was more fine motor demands, there was more sitting, there were more things like that. Frustration, you know, showed up and crumpling up his papers and refusing to work and not wanting to go. You know, he had to get shots to go to kindergarten. And he would tell me, I knew I shouldn't have gotten those shots. If I didn't get those shots, I wouldn't have had to go to kindergarten. 
Um, oh he just knew, you know, it wasn't working for him. By first grade, he really struggled and they did an evaluation and determined that he needed some extra help, but that program was full and so they decided to hold him back. I was not okay with that. I know that holding children back statistically doesn't typically benefit them. So I pulled him out of public school. I sent him to a private school for, it was a theories of multiple intelligences school. So they did a lot of hands-on learning. So at that time, he had been through three years of excellent preschool, two versions of kindergarten and first grade and did not know all of his letters. Academically, he was struggling. He was read to as a child. He had a lot of experiences. He was just very much struggling. When I sent him to this school, within six months, he knew all of his letters and was reading. A fabulous change for him. During that time also is when we did get his diagnosis. So he was diagnosed at six years old, which is late, but this was 25 years ago. Right. And finding services and getting good diagnosis was challenging. So he was diagnosed at six, and even that was shocking to me. You know, we finally went to a pediatric psychiatrist, and she said, oh, oh, your son has autism. Not bad autism, but he has autism. Here's some Risperdone, and just sent me on my way. And so I read the side effects, and I read the risks, and I, I picked up the medicine. Then I read all those things, and I said, oh, my goodness, I'm not giving this to my child before I try other things. And I'm not anti-medication. I have two nephews that do very well on medication. But for me, when my son was newly diagnosed, that's the first time I had really heard of the word autism. I had a lot of learning to do. That was not going to be my first step. So that's how we finally got a diagnosis. Wow. I understand about the 25 years ago, it wasn't even on the radar. I mean, my son is 19 and 19 years ago, or he was diagnosed 17 years ago, and it wasn't really on the radar. It wasn't long after that, that autism became more of a common household word. Right. Um, But yeah, that's just not something you would even think of. Right. Absolutely. So he struggled in school. When it still, what were some of the problems that you were facing at home? He got along with his older sister, not so much his younger sister. He has high levels of interest, even to this day, in Pokemon and card games and things like that. And the good thing about that was there were video games at that time that he was interested in, Pokemon, and they required him to read. And so, you know, motivation is key to get our kids yeah. to do. And so he would come to me and he would say, what does this say? Because he really wanted to know how to play that game. And I'd tell him, well, you're going to have to figure it out. We have to read this. So, you know, so we'd work on reading, work on reading. He had a wonderful teacher that taught him to read. But, you know, one of the things when he was in first grade, he'd want to bring his little toys to school. And his teacher told me, he needs to stop bringing those baby toys. Oh, my goodness. Later, that Pokemon interest was really what got him a friend group. We found a shop that he could go to and trade his cards and find like-minded people that really resulted in his social blooming. But at home during that time, we had holes in every door. He became an obsessive hand washer, so he wouldn't use his hands to touch things. He could get in the car and put a seatbelt on literally without using his hands. He could maneuver it with his wrists because he didn't want anything on them. He toilet trained very late. Obviously, there were just a lot of things. Food issues, you know, he wanted to eat two or three things, cheeseburgers, 
um, cheeseburgers and probably chicken nuggets, macaroni and cheese. Those three things. There's probably a lot of parents listening to this that are saying, yes, that's exactly what I'm my saying thing. that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I didn't know, you know, and I feel badly. I mean, as a parent, 25 years later, I think, oh my gosh, if only I knew, you know, because we were strict with him and we didn't understand what was happening with him. And he had two sisters and they didn't act like he did. He also, even at a young age, once he hit grade school, he was very bullied, which was very difficult. So those are the things that we were facing every day. What were some of your biggest struggles in raising him? You know, for us, because he had sisters, they had lots of friends over. We had a lot of kids in our neighborhood. Our first year, we had 32 kids at the bus stop. So he wasn't isolated. You know, he didn't really have friends at that time, but he had kids that he was exposed to pretty frequently. Our biggest struggle always was education. Mm. Always education. It was the most difficult, just getting people to understand him and understand his needs. Huge. Through college. So I would say education and bullying were our two biggest issues. The bullying led to mental health issues as a teenager. So those you said you chose not to do the medication. Has he done any occupational therapy, speech therapy, anything like that that's helped? Yes. Yeah, he had speech, PT, OT. He had a particularly wonderful occupational therapist who, this might sound unusual, he was in a handwriting frustration group. And so he was in a group of kiddos where they learned handwriting, but they also did some social things at the end where he really learned to manage frustration, which was huge. When he was frustrated, he would go get a sword, his little swords that he loved, and there'd be a hole in the bathroom door, or there'd be a hole in the wall, or he'd be chasing his sister, you know. He's a wonderful sword collection now, and he doesn't chase anybody with it, but he's always loved swords, you know. So yes, the therapies were hugely helpful, hugely. It's interesting, too, with occupational therapy, he was not a kiddo that really was behind Well, he was behind in in like handwriting and fine motor, but he was such a perfectionist that he wouldn't really allow himself to write unless every letter was perfect. Mm -hmm. And so it was so painstakingly slow that he got very frustrated. I mean, we just dealt with frustration after frustration after frustration. Along that time, they did diagnose him with some ADHD as well, which in my opinion, are symptoms of autism. I don't really consider that a separate diagnosis, but his psychiatrist did, you know, and so he did try some different medications, most of which made him violent. And then, you know, he decided at a very young age, I'm, I'm not taking that. So it just never worked for him. Well, it's good that he was able to get some good help and therapies and everything. Yes. So did he make it through high school? He did. He did. He was able to graduate. He did, yes. And so when he went back to public school in fourth grade, he was in all self-contained special education. Fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, he had a wonderful teacher for those same three years, and he made really good progress. And then middle school came, and middle school was changing classes seven times during the day, 2,000 kids in the school. He just crashed and burned. He could not handle that. He was bullied terribly, so we ended up doing half days in middle school just for his mental wellness and they still let him earn his credits. He was a smart kiddo, you know. When he went to high school, they had a neat special ed model. He had a case manager with a directed study and she helped coordinate all of his subjects, helped him make sure he got his homework done, got it turned in, led his IEP. 
It was a fabulous process. From ninth grade, we gradually moved him from special ed all into regular education. By the time he graduated, he was in all regular education, and he took his college entrance exams and passed without having to take any remedial classes. Wow, that's impressive. Mm -hmm. Did he go on to college? He did go on to college twice. He went to a community college, and then he went to a technical college. Um, He was not successful there. Basically, he would buy textbooks and never take them out of the wrapper. So there's that. But his mindset was, I learned this five years ago. Why am I having to learn this? You know, English, history, like, you know, just gen ed classes. So interestingly enough, he is a special education teacher assistant now. That's his job. Works with kids with autism and he loves it. He loves it and they love them. He had worked at a grocery store for five years and then he worked at a factory which he was kind of like a scientist. He checked the chemicals on the chips and did that, which he liked, but he didn't like the people. He was also bullied there. (laughs) So he didn't appreciate that. He left there and he substituted at a school for a period of time. And he never really liked kids. And so I would say to him, are you sure this is for you? (laughs) I'm not really sure. And he said, you know, I really like it. I said, well, maybe you should try it a little bit longer. And he did. He really liked it. And he worked with kids with significant autism, completely nonverbal, kids with violent behaviors, younger kids, older kids loved it. And he's been doing that now for almost five years. He's laid off right now due to COVID because the schools are closed. But it's interesting when people watch him work with the kids and he says to them, we can't do that. They'll have a behavior and he'll say, we can't do that. He understands they can't do it and he can't do it. And they just, they gelled very well. And he, most recently he was working with fourth and fifth graders and just did a great job. Loved it. Loved it every day. Well, it sounds like a perfect fit for him. And what a great teacher for these kids to have. Somebody who knows what it's like and who really gets it. Absolutely. So could you tell me about a time when things just seemed particularly bad or dark or heavy? Did you ever experience any of that? Yes. Probably for me, it was when he was younger, because I didn't really know what was happening. But for him, two things, middle school and cancer. So tell me about his battle with cancer. Sure. So when he was 22, he had a just a, we thought it was a swollen gland. And so he was on his way to a convention. You know, he loves anime conventions and he was on his way. And I said, you know, you better just stop at the walk-in, get that checked, make sure it's not strep throat or anything we should, you know, worry about. And so he stopped and he called me and he said, well, they said it's not strep throat, but he said I should get to the doctor immediately when I return. Oh, no. I said, okay, all right, well, well, we'll figure it out when you get back. So we went to his general practitioner and she did some blood work, you know, checked some tests and And initially, this is kind of odd, he loves cats, and he had just gotten a new cat, and so we thought maybe he had cat scratch fever, because some of the symptoms were similar to that. And so what I really talk about when I talk to other families of children with cancer is you just understand that you get bad test result after bad test result after bad test result, and finally, they come out and tell you, your son has cancer. When they finally did his biopsy, we didn't even have to wait for it to come back, the surgeon came out and said he has cancer. It's more than likely Hodgkin's lymphoma. We'll know more information when the biopsy comes back, but that's what it looks like. Oh, and he was so, 22. 
He was 22 and hated doctors and needles and blood draws because of all of his sensory issues. Any other time he would go for a blood test, I could get him to go and the nurse had one chance. If she didn't get it, we'd have to go home and wait a couple of days and come back. And now he has cancer. Wow. So, right. So we had tests done. He was stage four. He had it in his lungs, liver, spleen, bones. Yeah. So he did six months of chemotherapy, five-hour chemotherapy every other week. He continued to work while he did that. He missed days when he was sick. He worked in a school, so he wore a mask because he had no immunity. He got pneumonia one time. It was, it was a challenge. Um, did he understand what was going on through all that? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. He sounds pretty intelligent as far as cognitive. Absolutely. Yes. How did he handle chemo? You know, we had a wonderful center that we went through. They understood him very well, which was amazing. He had aromatherapy while he had chemo. He had a massage therapist. He was in a quiet private room. You know, he could sleep through most of it. And that was the only time in his life he did take an anti-anxiety medication before he went. He got through about the first two sessions. And finally I said, you know, I really think it's time that you need to not be, you can't sit in a panic for five hours while you're getting chemotherapy. That's not doing anybody any good. And he got through it. He was one of the very few people that they had met that didn't lose his hair. He lost about half his hair, which was a miracle, but he got through it. Well, good. And he's doing okay now? Cancer He's doing okay. He has his two-year scan coming up. He has residual effects from chemotherapy, obviously, some of those things. But yeah, he got through it. Wow. As if everything you had dealt with up to that point wasn't enough. <laughs> exactly. Uh, maybe I should add, we were also in the process of moving from Illinois to Florida. Oh. So I had to delay moving, delay my, I said, I can't do a thing until I know what's happening with my son. I, I you know, and, and gratefully, my employer was patient and understood. I said, he's my priority. If, if he's sick, we stay. I'm not going to change doctors. We're going to finish his treatment and get his clear scans. And once we do that, we'll be free to go. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. So does he live with you or does he live on his own? He does live with me. Okay. And probably, so, so one of the things with our kids, of course, it's very challenging for them to make friends. Yes. He had an incredibly strong friend group in Illinois that he had been friends with for years and years and years. And so moving here to Florida, where the population is a little older, it's a little more difficult for him to find his interests unless he drives far, you know, but he has friends at work. And so, yeah, he does still live with us. It just doesn't make sense for any of my kids. Actually, please don't pay rent somewhere else when you can live here until you're ready to move out. Exactly. Yep. But he pays his own bills. He has his own car. He drives, he cooks, he does laundry. He has learned all of those things over time. Definitely took longer, you know, right? but he knows all of those things. Well, good. I have a 21 year old who is neurotypical and it's taking him longer to learn all those things. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so that's okay. Yep. So you have Brennan. Yes. He's with autism and cancer and now you're raising grandnephews and niece. Is that correct? Yes. Great nephews and a great, great. niece. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they have some issues. 
Yes, my two nephews have significant intellectual disabilities, 14 and 15 years old, but chronologically, they're between four and five years old. Oh, goodness, that's significant. Yes, so they cannot be left alone, 24-7 supervision. Even when we're all awake, they can't be in the other room. They'll, (laughs) They'll do things they're not supposed to do. So yes, they're high needs. Well, it sounds like they are in the best possible place for them. They are. They're doing wonderfully. We get some good services here in Florida for them. They get all their therapies, OT, PT, and speech every week. Even when they were, we didn't have school since March, and my daughter just graduated as a speech therapist, and because her school ended and went online, she came home. We had a very full house. We had nine people in our house for three months. It was very people here. Very peopley. And so she came home and she was their teacher. You know, they had online school and she's a speech path. So she knows exactly what they needed. They've learned their new address and their phone number and how to tie shoes. And they've learned to make meals and sandwiches and fold laundry. And they've learned so many things over these three months. So yeah, it's been good. What a blessing to be able to have that right in your very own home. You don't have to try <laughs> to go anywhere. <laughs> yes, they're one on they're one on one speech pathologist. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So you are definitely busy. I am busy. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me when things just start piling on, and when you just start to feel that overwhelm creeping in. What do you do to recharge so you can keep going and being there for all these kiddos? Well, you know. My initial response to that is, I mean this in the kindest way, when I hit overwhelm, it's too late. I have to stay in front of that. I will also add that during the last three months during quarantine, my father-in-law had two strokes and I spent seven weeks away from home caring for him. Wow. And also caring for the eight people that were left here. So they lived 15 minutes away. I was there. We were here. He was 24-7 care, and so the most important thing during that time, and the most important thing for any mama that is out there caring for a child is to take care of yourself. I have to sleep. I have to exercise. I have to drink the water. I have to cut down on sugar. I have to talk to adults. I have to have friends, and, and I'll tell you what. When my kids were little, I didn't do that. I was not good at that, and I, I really got to you know, a lot of anxiety and depression, and it was really hard. Now, when I look at what we've been through since the first of this year, and I'm thinking, gee, I still feel good, you know, Um, I'm able to do all these things. It's because I literally have a checklist. I have a checklist that I use every day that says, have I done my reading? Did I move my body? Did I drink the water? Did I track my meals? All of those things, because I have to. And the times when I don't want to do those things, the times when I don't want to exercise, it's when I need it. When I'm to the point where I don't want to get out of bed or I don't want to go outside, I absolutely need to be out of bed and I absolutely need to be outside. Because that's your red flag that something's going on. Absolutely. And so, you know, we live in Florida where right now it's about 180 degrees. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, I used to be able to walk at night and that was great. I'd get done with my day and I'd take a walk with my dog and that would kind of be my cleansing time. I'd listen to a book on tape or I'd listen to a podcast or maybe I just listened to some pump up music, but then it got too hot to do that. And so I had to change my schedule a little bit. Now I have to do that in the morning, 
you know, because there were a couple of weeks where I didn't do it and I could immediately feel the difference. Yeah. Your body just gets used to that routine and what you're feeding it. Yes. Yes. One of the other questions I want to ask you is raising a child with special needs. And then of course now your extra children, has that had any effect on your marriage relationship? I wish my husband was here to answer those questions because I often, I love to hear his viewpoint. I feel like he feels like it's had more of an impact than I have. He is big on quality time together and we don't have a lot of quality time together. So we have to sneak it in. If it's a trip to the grocery store, there's our quality time together, which right now we can't do that because only one person goes to the grocery store. I mean, you know, there are studies that show your average time you talk to your spouse during a day is three minutes. That's crazy. Wow. You know, so, so yeah, so there was a time when our kids got into high school. So my kids were all in high school at the same time and we never were home. My girls were very busy. You know, Brennan was working and we just never, I was in graduate school while they were in high school, so many things. And so we decided when they went into high school that every Sunday we were going to go to church and we were going to go out to lunch afterwards. You know, I said, schedule every minute of the week, but don't schedule this time because once a week we're going to be together and we're going to eat. And that's, that's what we did. So honestly, for 11 years, every Sunday, we went to the same restaurant for lunch every Sunday. When we go back home to Illinois, we still go to lunch there. So we just had to set aside whatever that little time was. It just was time for us all to check in and say, gosh, nice to see your face. You know, here we are raising these amazing kids. So there was a time that we were kind of like empty nesters. We had just Brennan at home and he's, we never see him. He's very independent. And so then it was just us, you know, we could go and come and go as we felt like it. And that was magical. We were really excited about that. That was about the time we had our 25th anniversary. So that was great. We had a big party. We went to Hawaii for my 50th birthday. We did lots of great things. And so then we ended up where my nieces and nephews, they were in need because they were living with their grandma who just hit 80. She was not able to take care of them anymore. So, so when we moved to Florida, they all moved in with us. Um, and so we have to be protectors of our time. We have to make an effort. More than running a family, we're still married, and we, we have to take a minute to do that. We have some things that we do every year specifically. We travel for my brother's birthday on the 4th of July. This is the first year we're not going because my in-laws, my father-in-law is just too risky to leave him right now. And one of the things to know, and we hope, I mean, I know tomorrow's not promised, but I hope that at some point we can get back to that. But right now we, we have a commitment. So that's good. It sounds like you're very aware of how you're spending your time and being intentional with the time that you do have. It's probably easier now that he's older and more independent, but did you have a problem with being able to socialize when he was younger or now that you have younger kids back in the house? Well, so there's four adults that live in our house. It's my husband and I and my son and the kid's mom. She lives here as well. And so if we need to come and go, we can come and go. I should say she works on the weekends, so we have them all weekends. So it's still all about managing and juggling schedules. So we don't have as much time. And my husband and I share that. You know, if I say Saturday morning, I have to do this, this, and this. You have the kids. And then Saturday afternoon, you do this, this, and this. And I'll have the kids. And we try not to ask my son to do that too much because he didn't take on this commitment. We took on this commitment. But he's willing, you know, when I say, no, I have no other choice. I need you Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week. Okay. You know, so we'll figure it out. Or their mom will take off work as she's able to, but she works full time and we both work more than full time. So we 
have to figure it out. It's a juggle. Yes, it is. It sounds like you're doing a pretty good job of that. <laughs> We're figuring it out. What are some of your favorite moments in this journey with Brennan and then with the, the kids that you have in your house now? What are some of the things that just bring you joy and keep you going? Well, with Brennan, I mean, his accomplishments, you know, when I see him panic and not want to do something and then he's successful anyway, <laughs> like the first time I took him to driver's ed and he walked up to the building and he turned around and came back to the car and he said, that's okay. You can drive me. <laughs> and I said, um, I actually can't drive you. Like we live in a rural area. And we don't have public transit, so you need to try. You know, if you can't drive, then we figure that out. But you need to try. And so for two years, he drove only in our neighborhood. He had terrible anxiety. We drove around the block, and we drove in our neighborhood. And then just about when I was thinking, maybe he's not going to be successful at this. <laughs> I, You know, oh, you just never know until you try he started to get better. And I said, you know, let's go out. It was a four lane road by our house. And I, and you, know, you can go out and then come right back in our subdivision. And so we pulled out onto the road and he looked at me and his face turned snow white. And he said, mom, like maybe he was going to faint. And I said, just breathe, keep breathing. We're going to pull right back in the subdivision up here. We're going to be okay. <laughs> um, and he did. And so that's how we did it. And now, I mean, this kid drives coast to coast. He drove to Chicago. He drove in Chicago. He drove here from Illinois. I mean, he drives anywhere and everywhere. He's a good driver. He's a very good driver. He's very conscientious of safety. So that's a joy. Anytime he accomplishes something, another really great event was when he finished chemotherapy. You know, he hadn't eaten well for a long time. And so I sent a text to all his friends and I said, we're going to meet at his favorite sushi restaurant. If you guys want to meet us, let us know. We got there and there were 14 people there. Wow. Ready to have dinner with him and cheer him on. I oh, mean, that just makes my heart happy. That was wonderful, right? And then the other thing, you know, with the boys that I'm raising now, I really appreciate the knowledge that I have. I'm a social worker. I work with children with autism. And so I understand their needs a whole lot better than I understand at Brennan when he was little and you know, the other day, you know, it's COVID and it's so crazy. And my one little nephew, we've really worked on personal space and he was getting ready to go to bed and he walked around and he asked four people, would you like a hug? And they said, no. Second person, would you like a hug? No. And I was one of those people that said no, because I was hot. I had just taken a walk and I was hot. <laughs> and his fourth person, I said to him, oh my gosh, come here and let me give you a hug. Because he needs a hug, you know, and he was asking so nicely and we were kind of all in our own worlds. But I was aware, you know, I was aware enough to say, oh my gosh, come over here and get a hug and then go to bed, you know. So we're a lot healthier now than we used to be, you know, live and learn. So I appreciate that. But I appreciate when they learn, like when they got to learn to tie their shoes. Oh my gosh, that was fabulous. They were 12 and 13 when they learned to tie their shoes, that they can tie them. They love the garbage and now they can tie the garbage bag and take it out. They love to watch garbage trucks. That's their favorite thing in the whole world. So tying a garbage bag is a big deal for them. You know, learning to build a puzzle and be able to play and have recreation, that's huge. So all of those things. You have a very full house and it sounds like you are managing it well and that these kids couldn't be in better hands. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so in all of this, you have the three children who are pretty much independent at this point. You have three kids now living with you, plus their mom. And in the middle of all this, you've started a blog. Yes. And yes, it was- I did. <laughs> um, it's a, a kind of a funny story. So I had foot surgery, and I was in bed for a week, and that was all it took. I thought, well, gee, what, what better time to you know start a blog? So one of the things that we haven't mentioned is in my past, I'm a trauma survivor, and so I struggle with PTSD and some autoimmune disorders as a result of that. And so my blog is ptsdandme.com. It's a lifestyle blog, but I talk about recovery from PTSD, but I also talk about life after that, raising kids, being married, things that bring me joy, my gratitude practice, all of those things on the other side of trauma that for me make life worth living. That's my blog. That's amazing because, you know, you always need an extra project when you've got all these things going on. (laughs) Yes, for sure. And we can thank COVID for the launch of this podcast. (laughs) There you go, for the extra time. Well, I'm a big fan of Kevin Hines. He writes Cracked Not Broken. And in his book, he really encourages people, if you have a story, to share it. You know, share your voice to help other people. So I started my blog because people ask me, you know, how do you do everything you do? How do you raise those kids? And you're a mom and you work and you do all of those things and you're still happy. You know, you find joy every day. So that's the purpose of my blog, to share that. Um, How do you find happy and um, live your life? That's excellent. I love that. So your blog is PTSD, the letter N and me.com. And I'll have that link in the show notes on my blog as well. So that way, if anybody's interested in checking it out, they'll be able to go over there and directly link to your blog. Excellent. Thank you. I have one last question before we go Mm -hmm. to any of the families that are listening, who are just starting out on this journey, what advice or encouragement would you give them? I think the most important advice, and I gave this the other day in one of the groups I'm a member, is you have to find the resources that work for your family. I work with families who have three kids with significant needs. Getting a break is important, and and it's hard. You can be on waiting lists for a long time, but finding respite care, educating yourselves, educating your family members. You know, I've had family members tell me all he really needs is a good spanking. I'm like, that's it. We'll just spank the autism out of them. That's, that's an easy cure. You know, it, it just comes at you from all sides. It comes at you from school. And, and I know that people have lost marriages over raising really difficult kids. And I just can't stress enough that you have to take care of yourself. And you have to find resources. For me, I couldn't find them. I didn't know what was working and what wasn't working for my child. I went back to school. I got a master's degree in social work and a master's degree in educational leadership because school was a struggle and I needed to know how to fix it so I could be a change agent and help other families. And that's just it. You have to find resources and there are more resources in some areas than others, but it's critical. You have to have time for yourself. You have to have time away and your kids benefit from that as well. They do. They do. You will serve your children better if you're serving yourself. Absolutely. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing and letting us get to know your family a little bit better. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. I'd like to thank everyone for listening today. You can find all the links and show notes for today's episode at anamazinglyordinarylife.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you left a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. 
As always, I would love to hear your story. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact me at my website, or you can email me at amazinglyordinary at yahoo.com. And don't miss next week's episode where I'll be talking with Tara Bouchaw about what it's like to raise a daughter with hearing loss as well as a son with Down syndrome. I hope you'll join me then.